Good morning, everybody. It's so good to be with you on Football Sunday. Oh, I had to throw that in there uh, for those of you here. If you miss Seek Night because of watching uh, the playoffs, I won't even make a comment. Um, I won't even make a comment about that because we are in a series on the Holy Spirit. And if you're new to our church, welcome. But we are looking at who the Holy Spirit is. When I say the Holy Spirit, I'm talking about God. And that's why we spent months looking at the Holy Spirit who is above uh, the Spirit is not a force. The Spirit is a person who is divine. And so we want to get to know who God is. How many of you want to know who God is more and more? Well, you cannot do that apart from understanding and appreciating the work of the person called the Holy Spirit. Well, we already did that, so hopefully that's like not new to you. But now we're looking at what the Holy Spirit does inside of our lives. Because as you read John 13, 14, 15, and 16, which we've been doing over the last few weeks, you see that Jesus, in his longest teaching on who the Holy Spirit is, is inviting us to a real transformation and a real life change, hear me, that doesn't end with you. Sometimes we read the Bible with us in mind, nothing wrong with that. Lord, what do you want from me? What do you want me to get out of it? What do I need to know? All of that is well and good. But the beginning of the Bible, it says, in the beginning, God. Your life, ultimately, is not about you. It's about God. Your time is not just about you. It's about God, your purpose, your meaning, what you do, what you avoid. It's not just about you and your family. Our life, if we follow Jesus, is to be Godward because it's about him, his world. He created you. He sustains you. And he has things for you to do in this world. So we want to grow in knowing who the Holy Spirit and what he does within. So we looked last week and we saw that Jesus, the most common word he uses in John 14, 15, 16, is the advocate. What is the advocate? Uh, write this down if you didn't last week. The Holy Spirit enables us to experience God's life and love. The Holy Spirit, what, what he does in our world is he gives us the ability to actually experience God's life and to actually experience God's love. And so the word used by Jesus is advocate. And you, you remember from last week that that has legal connotations. Your advocate, back in the day that Jesus was walking around, was the person who stood with you in court. They know the case. They know what to do. You're not alone. You have someone who comes alongside you to help navigate you through the legal process. And now Jesus isn't limiting it to that word, but that's what the word meant. But he's pulling on a human word and a human experience to talk about something more deep and meaningful. When you want to know the life of God, you're not alone in your search. God, the Holy Spirit, the advocate, is actually with you in your search for God and leading you and guiding you and providing all that you need moment by moment. So even in my pursuit of God, I need to remember it's not like God's out there and like I'm over here stuck and he's nowhere to be found. No, God has come in the person of Jesus. And because Jesus was here, People knew what God is like. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've what? You've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. But he was going to go away. And after going to the cross and paying for our sin debt in, in full, which is why he came, 
and going into the grave and really dying and rising again and defeating death and the enemy forever. He says, I'm going to return to the Father. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I'm going to return. And you're going to be with me. But until then, which is now, you're never alone. You're not going to be orphaned. I'm going to be with you. The Father, says Jesus, is going to send the Spirit and the Spirit who is working around you after Jesus rises and a sense of the Father will now be in you. Now, what does that look like tangibly? So what we want to do today is because our community groups are starting next week. Next week, we're going to start to drill down on the very real things that the Holy Spirit wants to grow within. They are very specific. They are real. And, and Jesus and the apostles taught what they are. They're not just ethereal there are things that God wants to produce and grow in our lives. But know this, all of John 13, 14, 15, 16 was about Jesus preparing his disciples to continue his work in the world. So when we think about what it means to grow in awareness of the Holy Spirit, it is not just for better feelings. It's not just for deeper truths in our own world, as important as that is. It's not just for personal growth and renewal, as important as that is. The context of Jesus' statements about the Spirit are about, you boys and ladies, get out and do the work. There's work for you to do because he goes to the Father until he returns. We are his witnesses and we are called to share the life of God and the love of God. So how do we do that? So when we think about growing in awareness of the Holy Spirit, it is about being better prepared to partner with God, to do God's stuff in God's world until we go home to be with God. And by the way, you are going home to be with God someday. Our time on earth is limited. I got, a, I got a, on my socials this morning a dear friend of mine, Nigel Gordon, who was a real mentor. I knew him for 25 plus years, stayed at his home countless times in London. He was Luis Palau's longtime European mission director. After a battle with cancer, he is now with Jesus. And it happened last night. And his family's grieving with hope because this man served Jesus on this earth till the day he died. He didn't retire in the sense of, now I'm just going to go do nothing and enjoy me. When he retired from working with Luis Palau, he got involved in his local church and found out that people were struggling in his neighborhood. And he spent the rest of his days pouring into the people around him in Jesus' name. Without pay, without title. He just did it because that's what Jesus would do. I want to be like that. Do you? Well, this man was filled with the Holy Spirit. And so are you. But that filling isn't about feeling. It is about purpose and mission and meaningful lives. Man, I'm a little riled up this morning. I haven't even gotten started yet. All right, let's read the Bible. Whew, calm down, Jose. Or maybe amp it up. All right, John 15, depending on your, your personality type, you can, you can make the choice. Uh, John 15, starting at verse 1, says, I am the true vine. And my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You, speaking to these disciples, you're already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I also remain in you. 
No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. And now super popular, if you've been around church, you've heard this all your life. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. And here's the purpose. This is to my Father's glory. Notice that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. How are we going to continue Jesus' work in the world? Well, Jesus tells us. This is interesting, and I need you to see the setting. In John 14, he says multiple times, Jesus, that the Holy Spirit is the advocate. He says he's the advocate in chapter 16. You're not going to see him talk about the Holy Spirit in chapter 15, but you need to know that they're all connected. If we're going to have the advocate who's going to be in us and with us forever, the spirit of truth. And in chapter 16, we're going to go and do the work in Jesus' name, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Something's going to need to happen. And so in the middle of this conversation about the Holy Spirit, he drops in this important picture of vine and branches. And remember, all of this has to do with Jesus' crazy words absolutely ludicrous, crazy. You, me, we're going to do Jesus' work. That's what he's saying. In this world, the Jesus' work is now happening through the Jesus' people, us. But, oh, before you get out there, he throws in this truth, which has to do with the Holy Spirit, and that will tie in by the end. What's the vine and branch metaphor in the Bible. He's the vine, we're the branches. Well, symbols are used all the time. Symbols were used in their day. And just like today, if you throw up a, a flag with stars and stripes or a bald eagle, you, you're, you're immediately drawn to America. Sports teams use it. To represent them, they use an icon. They use an animal or this or that. Companies use them all the time. Visuals are powerful, helpful tools to point us to, towards company, a product, team, or a country, or whatever. And what Jesus does here is amazing because the vine in their day, got to remember, Jesus is born into a Jewish home. He's living in the land of Israel. The center of the world is not Rome. The center of the world for the Jew is the mountain in Jerusalem, the holy place, the temple. It is the place of God's presence. When God comes to meet with his people, it's not anywhere, it's here. And so Jesus, in an upper room, within a stone's throw from the temple, by the way, some scholars think that even as he says to his disciples, come here, that he's, he's probably on his way while teaching his disciples from the upper room, he's probably in view of the temple and just pulls on the metaphor because there is a vine in the temple that is a visual representation of what it means to be God's 
people. Vine, and again, he's, he doesn't have to explain this to them. They get it. We need explanation because we're far removed. But the vine is a word that was used to describe Israel, God's people, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, their children, their family, those who follow the law of God, who know the ways of God, who worship at the temple of God, they were the vine. And so Jesus pulls on that and says, I'm going to reveal to you the point of the metaphor. Israel was called the vine. If you don't believe me, I'll just give you one little example. I had about five. I cut them down to one because I love you. Psalm 80, verses 7 through 11, and this is the psalmist speaking about Israel, God's people, in a time of trouble. Restored us. I'll jump in the middle of it. Restore us, God Almighty. Make your face shine on us that we may be saved. The notice. You transplanted a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and you planted it. You cleared ground for it. And it took root and it filled the land. The mountains were covered by its shade, the shade of the vine. Uh, the mighty cedars with, it, with its branches. Its branches reached as far as the sea. It shoots as far as the river. Some of you poets and songwriters, you kind of get what's going on here. What is the psalmist talking about? God planted a people. He took them out of Egypt, and he brought them to the land of promise. That is, the vine, the planting, and it grew because Israel made it to the border of the waters, out to the river. God took a people who were enslaved, literal slaves, brought them to freedom, and gave them life, and they spread and they flourished, but they're, they're, they're not in good shape because God brought a people who would grow and flourish. Remember, the purpose of the people of God has always been to be a light to the nations. Why did God choose one family? You know why he did? To demonstrate to the world how good he is. And as Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the people, now millions, grew in their relationship with God, lived in the ways of God, loved one another, it should be attracted to the world when, when everyone else said, why are they so fruitful? Why do they have the peace? Why do they have the joy? Why, why are they doing well when we're not? Why, why are they calm in the middle of the storm? It's because God's with them. God is with them. And so they were to be a representation to the world of what it means to be in a right relationship with God. Now, those of you who read the Bible, do God's people live up to their end of God's agreement with them? No. They don't. They quickly forget the Bible. They quickly do their own thing and make it worse, cherry on top, of evil. They start to worship other gods. Those other so-called gods didn't get them out of Egypt, didn't rescue them, didn't bring them through the water, didn't provide food from the ground and quail to fall down and feed them, water out of a rock, no military might, no weapons, and yet they were victorious? Who does this? God, Yahweh alone. And God's people forgot God. So the psalmist cries out, restore us, God. You planted the vine. Here's what we need to know. God does the planting. The vine is not planted by people. The vine is planted by God. And so God is the source of life itself. Now, I'll get to where this fits in, 
um, to the Holy Spirit in a minute. But let's just finish the psalm. The end of the psalm says, Psalm 80, verse 16 through 19, your vine is cut down. In other words, the people are messed up. It's burned with fire. At your rebuke, your people perish. So God's people are a mess. The vine, you know, if you're thinking poetry, is not producing fruit. Let your hand rest on the man at your right hand. The son of man you have raised up for yourself. So God, may, may your hand be upon your leader. Then we will not turn away from you. Revive us. We just sang that song. And we will call on your name. Restore us, Lord God Almighty. Make your face shine on us that we may be saved. Uh, so, so God plants a people. They're called what? Okay, what's the other name? Starts with a V. Okay, this wasn't hard, folks. This wasn't that hard. I'm not doing trick questions. So God plants a people who are like a vine, but when they turn away from God, their fruitfulness shrinks, and it seems like the people are a mess, so they, they call on God, revive, restore the dying plant. You planted it. You empower it. We're messing with it, but we're calling on you. Now, in the, in the upper room when Jesus is talking with his disciples, and maybe, we don't know, maybe they're even walking by the temple. What we don't know, Josephus, who is a Jewish historian, gave in history a picture of what the temple looked like at the time of Jesus. And at the entrance of the holy place, just on, on the west of the altar, there was a big linen curtain that had all flowers on it and huge pure gold chains on the side of this curtain. This was the curtain that on the other side of it, people, the priests, the Levites, would, would offer the sacrifices and, and make peace with God for you. So at the entryway to God's presence, above that curtain was a huge, pure gold vine. Because near and dear to God's heart are his people. And right where his presence is, is the vine. And the vine is getting its source from who? On the other side of the curtain is where God would meet and the sacrifices would be made. So the visual was near to everyone who would go at the temple. As a matter of fact, in the days of Jesus, wealthy citizens as an act of worship could go and, and, and add more grape clusters to the vine. So they would literally go in and, and weld it somehow into it the historian Josephus says some of the clusters of grapes in this vine were like the size of a human. It was huge. So that everyone knows God loves his people. God is for his people. God is rescuing his people. God is empowering his people. Now, all of that side rabbit trail is important because what we need to know is when Jesus pulls in on this picture I am the vine. In the Gospel of John, there are seven I am statements. Jesus is, is clearly telling his disciples, I am was the word for Yahweh, God alone. And God is revealing himself in the person of Jesus. And there's seven of them. And the final one is here, I am the vine. Now, what does he mean by that? Let's just go back, reread. With that all in mind, we're going to get to where the Spirit fits in this. But first, let's just see what Jesus is teaching. John 15, 1. Are you with me? Okay, here we go. I am the true vine. 
My father's the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so it'll be even more fruitful. You're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me. I'll also remain in you. No branch could bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Now, here's the, you know, some of you have already seen it now, but I want to state what's obvious. Who is the vine in Psalm 80? Israel. Who is the vine in John 15? Jesus. This is mind-blowing. Israel is God's people, right? Called to do God's work in God's world. And they have failed miserably. But God has come to save. And now the vine is no longer those people. Jesus is the vine. Jesus alone can fulfill the work of the Father. Jesus alone does, does what is right and good and holy. Jesus is what the vine picture was leading towards. And now there's a connection to you and me, but don't get so, don't get so me-centered for a moment. God loves his world. God loves his creation. And God has come to rescue. God's come to, to redeem. God's come to bring back. And he raises up a people to partner with him and do the rescuing. And, and now Jesus says, Israel was the vine. I am now the vine. This is a new thing. This isn't a repair of God's old covenant. It's not a repair of God's old agreement. This is the ending of one and the beginning of something new. The vine was Israel. The vine is now Jesus. So Jesus can say, no one can come to the Father except through me. Not through Israel, through me. Jesus is the image of God. Jesus is God made visible. And Jesus is the one who's come to rescue and save. That's why you're going to see later on, as the early writers of Jesus' followers saying, all power, all authority has been given to Jesus. He is the vine. Okay, now what are we to do? And this is important. This pulls on where we're heading and why we're spending all this time talking about the work of the Holy Spirit. The goal now is for you and I to remain in him. Now, what does it mean to remain? Because Jesus says it again and again. Remain, remain, remain. So, so, so Jesus is now the vine. Anyone, anywhere, with any background, can now know the living God because of Jesus. He's the vine. He's the one the world was waiting for. And now you and I can be connected, remain. Um, the word here, it speaks of someone, this is a relational term, who doesn't, who doesn't leave a certain space, who stays, who continues. Some of your translations say abides. I just don't know what that means. Abide. How often do you abide? Uh, but we don't, uh, as an English term, that, that, that's not common for us. So, so she say, continue, stays, uh, or, or remains. And, it, and it's about proximity. Those who stay close to me, those who stay close to my words, those who continue in relationship with me. Uh, I'll throw a quote on the screen that puts chapters 14 and 15 together from a commentator named Gary Burge. It says, in John 14, chapter 14, the answer to Jesus' departure was resolved in the assurance of his coming. 
that he would not leave his disciples desolate. But in chapter 15, Jesus' theme is no longer his coming, but his quote-unquote remaining. And he paints an intricate picture of a vine trimmed by the gardener that produces generous fruit. And he applied this image to his disciples, charging them to remain vitally attached to him so that they may produce the fruit born of love and obedience, and end quote. All right, in case you didn't catch all that, let's make it simple. Uh, Jesus is life. He's the vine. Jesus is life. He's the vine. And Jesus, the vine, produces fruit. So, so when, it, when we think about our life with God, it's about attachment. If I've attached myself to Jesus because he's the source of life, he's the vine, then the vine will produce the fruit in me. Verse 7 again, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, then you could ask whatever you wish. Which, when I was a kid, I loved that because to me it was about the latest electronic or toy. Or, you know, like, Lord, you said I could ask forever I wish. You're like Santa. But you work 365 days a year. It's not just one and done. No, no, no. Think about the analogy. When my branch is attached to the, the goal of a vine is to push energy through to the branch and produce fruit. So Jesus is saying, you want to live a life the way God designed it? Attach yourself to me and my life will pour into your life. And when my life is running through your life, you can ask. Because my life, says Jesus, is pouring into you. You can ask. Because what you ask for is going to be a result of the life I'm pouring into you. You're going to learn how to pray when you spend time with me. Because your life is now going to be seen by the power of his life flowing in and through you. So, so fruit bearing for God, we need to catch this, is not human responsibility. Not at all. It's Jesus working through you. The pressure is not on you to produce fruit. Because the branch can't produce anything, it's disattached from the vine. And so here's the good word. God already, when he was calling on you to follow him and to become a follower of Jesus, what he was preparing was all this goodness to come in and through your life. And all of it's going to happen as you remain attached to him. So, question, what's the fruit? Because Jesus said, you're going to bear much fruit, fruit that's really going to be lasting. It's important to know what the fruit is. Um, how does the fruit grow? Can I, can I work with God to increase fruitfulness? Yes? No? What does it mean to lo- live a fruitful life or a fruitless life? All of these things matter, and that's what we're going to do during this session of our community groups. We're going to talk, not just here, we're going to talk about what it means to live out the fruit that Jesus said he would push through you. But let me go back to the earlier statement. The Holy Spirit enables us to experience God's life and love, which is why John 15 is sitting in the middle of John 14. He's the advocate. John 16, he's the advocate. There is no way we're going to know the fruitfulness of our lives apart from the Holy Spirit. And there's no way to bear more fruit, God's life and love, through your life, 
apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is already working in and around you, whether you know it or not. He's already. But what I want to do is I want to lean in to what Jesus said. If you remain in me, fruitfulness is the outcome. And I think, no, I don't think, I know that the struggle for many of us Wondering why my life is not bearing fruit for God and we're trying harder and we're making more commitments and more promises and more this and more that. It's we have not learned to remain in him and spend more energy on getting to know him better because when I know him better and I hear his voice more clearly and I understand his, his words more clearly and meaningfully, I will bear the fruit. We're trying to bear fruit, forgetting that that's impossible in our own human strength. But the Holy Spirit will actually enable us to live more fruitful lives. So, so Jesus says, in order for you to grow in your fruit bearing, in your life, which remember is not just about you feeling Jesus' presence more frequently, as important as that is. Not just about your own personal renewal, where you wake up and he seems close to you. As, that is so important and so valuable, and I want that for you. But that's not the end. The goal of God is that your life would matter for his purposes that are bigger than ours. And the way to gauge that throughout my entire life is less pressure on me producing things for God. If I just join another serve team, if I just do that, if I just do the other, if I work, 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 then maybe he'll see I'm bearing fruit. He's like, oh, disciple, loved one, stay in me. Now, how do we do that? You just got to keep coming. Um, because we don't have time to talk about that today. But it's why we are doing these seek nights together because it doesn't just happen by sitting in a row for an hour and a half once a week it's why we call you to community life because it doesn't just happen one-way transfer of information no the remaining in him is developed as we pursue him remain and attach i i, I got a great question this week thank you for sending your questions about the holy spirit they're starting to come in again. I got one this week that I've been asked so many times, and it was, it was already when this message was already mostly written. I was like, oh, this is perfect. Let's just throw it in there. Here's the question someone asked from our church. I won't tell you um, the name, but it's someone in our church. Uh, sometimes I hear people pray or even sing some worship songs asking for more of the Holy Spirit. Is this even possible? I thought if someone belongs to Jesus and the Holy Spirit is also in you. How can you have more of something you already have? Which is a great question, and so many of us have thought this, and so many have asked me this personally. I want to answer it twofold, and so just listen in, and if it's not complete, I'm happy to have a conversation with you offline. The first thing is when we hear songs or we hear people praying, uh, when we pray and when we sing, often we're using metaphors. Songs are poetry put to music. So writers use visual images to compare the heart. Perfect example. Psalms are songs, right? Psalm 19. Your law is more precious than gold. 
is sweeter than honeycomb. Okay, if I bite the Bible, it doesn't taste like honeycomb, right? Obviously, and it's, it's not more precious than gold. This was less than 20 bucks, and, and gold by the ounce. No, no, but the point is it's more valuable, right? So when songwriters are trying to pull on language to talk about a desire to encounter God more fully, yes, we will invite. We sang some of those songs. We'll sing them again tonight. So that's a good thing to want more of, of God. And the songwriters aren't necessarily saying the Spirit isn't with you. But the second part of my answer is I actually think the reason why these songs have value. There's always more of God to be known. There's always more of God. Now, if I'm following Jesus Christ, do I know the living God? Yes or no? Yes, I do. He's the vine, I'm the branch. If I remain him, he and me, I'm bearing fruit. How much do I know of God? God is with me. But are God's thoughts what's driving my life moment by moment, day by day? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. And so I think what songwriters, and sometimes when we pray, when we say, God, will you come? Well, theologically, he's everywhere at all times. So he can't come anywhere if he already is. Yet in the Bible, there were times when God's presence came on the tabernacle and on the temple. And by the way, Jesus, God made flesh, walked among us for 33 years. So there is, a, there is the ability for God to come even though he's above all. Do you see what I'm getting at? There's more of God to be had. So the Holy Spirit, if you repent of your sin and turn to Jesus Christ and say, Jesus, I know who I am, made in your image, but I'm not living into your image. I'm living for me. I've sinned. I've fallen short. Look, I'm guilty, like everybody else. But I believe that you are the rescuer who sent the rescuer, Jesus, to stand in my place because he did no sin. He could stand for me. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus. So Jesus died in my place. And he's the sacrifice once for all the righteous, for the unrighteous to bring us to God. So if, God, that you would do that for me, I receive, I receive, I receive. I become a child of God and I receive the Holy Spirit. But hear me, the Holy Spirit does not lead and guide all of me in that moment. There's an enemy at work that I still need to combat. There are lies he's sharing that sometimes I believe and live into. There's my own selfishness that I'm wrestling with. And even though I have the Holy Spirit, there is me still here. And I have competing desires. The desire to please God because the Holy Spirit lives in me. The desire to please me because I'm me and I'm better than God in my own warped mind at times. I'm more right than God. I'm wiser than God, which is the essence of sin. We say, God, no, thank you. You're not as smart as me. This is the better way. So what Jesus is inviting us into is his very presence, the Holy Spirit, to moment by moment lead us and guide us into all truth. So tonight, to give you a preview, what we want to invite God to do, there's going to be worship, and there's going to be moments of prayer, and we're actually going to invite God 
to help us discern this year what does he want us to start this year that we've not yet begun? Are there things that are important to God that we have yet to think about? Are there things that we're pouring energy into that are not the most fruitful in God's sight? They may be fruitful for you, but to God, they're not fruitful. We're going to invite, as part of our worship, as part of our seeking, we're going to collectively do this collective exercise together to grow us and spur us. And everything we do tonight can be done by anyone alone at any time. And what we're going to do tonight can be done by any community group on any time you gather. But we want to grow in the practice of connecting ourselves, remaining in him. Purposely saying, God, these hours, they all belong to you, all 24 anyway, but these, I'm, I'm, for this hour, I'm putting my attention upward towards you. I am inviting you to lead me and guide me in the starting, in the adjusting, in the stopping, whatever it is, God, that in this next bit of my life you long to do, I am inviting and expecting you because you're a good father to pour the life from the vine into this branch. And the reason we're doing it together is because you're just one branch. We're the branches. And so there's something powerful when you are in a room with other branches, seeking, asking, knocking, looking, listening, writing, discerning, praying, engaging, following up with conversations. When we do these things, God is honored which is why Jesus says, remain in me. Okay, here's the good news. The Holy Spirit is here and wanting to grow us in knowing God's life and love. This is already happening. All we're saying to God is we want to increase our fruitfulness. Put another language. Life with God is relational. And we want the relational dimension of who we are to grow with you, God, so that you're not the God out there or the God someone else knows, but you're the God that we know. And in the end, we want to live fruit, that is, living the life of God and the love of God towards other people on purpose, which is what you were created for. It's the reason you're here right now. It's the reason God hasn't taken you home yet. There are things he has patterned for you. So wouldn't it be great if we energized ourselves by pressing in and seek him together? Uh, if that's not a pitch, I never heard one, man. I want to be closer with God and his people so that I am more useful to God to help people. And that's the purpose of the Christian life. Lord, thank you that you're leading us Holy Spirit of God, thank you that you have come and that you are working not only deep within to bring healing and wholeness in the life of God to me as a person, but to empower all of us as your sons and daughters to live out whatever it is, God, whatever it is you want to do, whatever it is you're longing to do in the lives of the people around us, we want to be useful. That that the life that comes from you, Jesus the vine, is poured through us, the branch that bears fruit in the lives of other people. Lord, would you increase that, we pray. We, we don't want to live like the psalmist was saying in Psalm 80, where we're, we're like we're burnt up, like we're like useless. 
but yet we call like the psalmist. Lord, renew us, revive us, re-energize us, we pray. Lord, we're asking for more of you because there's more of you to be had. We, we haven't seen all of you, Lord. We haven't experienced all of you. We haven't been used in all the ways that you would desire, but we're hungry for more. So God, continue to stir us to seek you more earnestly, we pray. In Jesus' name.